Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Am I coming through loud and clear? Wonderful. Wow. Goodness. I mean, my heart is just so full of things buzzing just off the back of the worship and obviously the preparation time that I've, I've put into this one as well. Um, my hope is that today is clear. I won't be able to cover everything. You know, you could spend an entire series on the kingdom. Um, Jesus spent three years on it. So, um, yeah, maybe we need a three-year series on the kingdom. <laughs> um, so I won't be able to hit all the notches. I won't hit all the marks. But we will hopefully go away with an increased understanding, increased picture of what the kingdom is, what it means, um, and what it means for us in our daily lives. So we've been doing a series from the Sermon on the Mount, and the sort of caption for the series has been sitting at Jesus' feet, getting back to that posture uh, of just looking up into his eyes and just listening, being about him, being about what he's doing, what he's saying, but most importantly, about who he is. And today's worship time was just a fantastic opportunity to revel in that, wasn't it? I mean, those songs were just so packed with kingdom purpose and and the gospel and who Jesus is and what he's done, (coughs) leading us back to that. And uh, today, I want to look at two themes and how the kingdom relates to them. So the two themes are peace and purpose. So we're going to explore those themes today, hopefully, and I want to look at three questions. We're going to answer those three questions as we go as well. So two themes and three questions. The questions are, what is the kingdom? Start from the, the, the ground up. What is the kingdom? What do we mean by this, this word kingdom? How does the kingdom bring us peace and purpose? And how does this shape our view of Christian living? So what is the kingdom? How does the kingdom bring us peace and purpose? And how does this shape our view of Christian living? Something I do when I'm sitting on the bus or I'm in a car journey, or I've not got anything going on, is to daydream. And sometimes I daydream about the strangest things. Um, what would the world have been like if the fall had never happened? You know, would I be looking out this bus window now, watching all the buildings go past, and would it all look the same, or would it look different? So I'd love us to, to imagine that this morning. Just think about uh, even your morning so far today. I woke up with a stinking cold, unfortunately, so... That was my morning. But you, you woke up um, and you opened your eyes and you were, you were lying in a bed, hopefully, unless you'd had a really bad night the night before. Um, you woke up, maybe you brushed your teeth, you got yourself dressed, uh, maybe you drove to church, maybe you walked or you got the bus. Um, and you arrived in a building and you sat down on chairs. How much would, have, would that have been different if the fall had never happened? You know, would we have invented beds? Would we all sleep in hammocks? I don't know, or sleep on the grass? Um, would we have buildings like this? You know, would our technology have developed in the way that it has? Would we have cars that run on petrol? Well, probably not, because it's not brilliant for the environment. Hopefully, we'd have thought of something better. But how would the world have unfolded, and what would it be like today uh, if, if that fall, that disconnection with God had never happened? You know, we would, the, the world was created perfectly, and it would have stayed in that perfect order, even through to this day. You know, what, what characterized this, this perfect order? Well, uh, you could say that it was aligned to God's ideal way of being. 
you know, when he created the world, it was, it was good. He looked at everything, he said, that's good. He said that the, the mountains were good, the, the birds were good, the, the rivers were good. It all worked in the way that it was supposed to. It was aligned with his ideal way for it to be. And so in that context, we had peace. What, what do we mean by peace? Let's unpack that. When I, when I use the word peace, I mean an absence of, of, of like that fear and that anxiety. You know, when we first were created, we had relationship with God unhindered. You know, he, he, he walked in the garden with, with Adam and Eve, we're told. And imagine if, if that had unfolded, the, how, how would that possibly work, that God walked around with each and every one of us? You know, there must have been millions of people that would have come from Adam and Eve. We've seen that. So how would it have worked to have God walking with us physically? I mean, did we, you know, get a ticket to book a, an appointment for... Well, I can give you 12 o'clock in three years' time. You know, I've got a few other people I've got to see first. We'd have had that unhindered relationship with God, however it looked. So we'd have had peace. And we'd have also had, had purpose. So when God made Adam and Eve, he said to them, he gave them a commission. He said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So to unpack that, we had a garden which was created by God, good, it had an order, everything worked together. I mean, you, you can think about how the, the different animals that you might know about might have contributed to the way of the garden working. You know, you've got all different kind of insects from the, the tiniest through to like the biggest elephants, giraffes, dinosaurs, all of this kind of thing. How would they have played a part in that big picture of God's ideal way for things to be? And our purpose was to get in that, to understand it, to learn about it, and to grow, and as we grew... And our understanding grew, we were to take that and we were to fill the earth with it. So that God's perfect order and his, his beautiful garden was uh, expanded and filled the earth. Now we know that we unfortunately fell away from that and, and we sinned and we put ourselves onto the throne. And we find ourselves now in the position that we're in, all of us in some way encounter an absence of peace or an absence of purpose. You know, when you're living everyday life, the worries that come in, I mean, it could be, how am I going to make ends meet? Um, what if I've got, I'm going to say it the right way around, what if I've got too much month at the end of my money? What about my next job? Where am I going to end up? How am I going to not just meet, maybe, maybe it's today's needs that we focus on and, and everyday life is just spent thinking about how am I going to get through each day or each week or each month. But maybe it's also, well, all right, I'm not doing too badly now, but what about the future? How am I going to cope and be provided for in the future? Or maybe if we've started to find ourselves in a place where that's ticking over okay, we start to think in, in our sort of next step up, as it were, what's all this about? Where am I going? You know, what, what's the purpose to my life? Why am I here? How does everything have meaning and, and, and a purpose and a point to it? So those are our two themes, peace and purpose. And that leads us rather nicely to our, our first point, our first question to answer together, which is, what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom? Now, I love it when the Holy Spirit weaves different elements together in a meeting because a lot of what I'm going to talk about we've sung about so far this morning. The Jews had a concept 
given to them throughout their history. You know, the fall happens, uh, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. The Bible describes how history unfolds. He picks out this guy Abraham and he says to him, look, I'm going to make you into a massive nation that's going to bless every nation on the world. And so you see that promise unfold. The nation of Israel um, grows. And throughout their history, God was dropping in promises of what he was going to do with them. Here's something that's coming, guys. Here's the plan that I'm unfolding and weaving through you. And it was the promise of this this kingdom. It was going to be um, led by somebody who was um, sort of their, their conquering hero. And they had this concept that this person was going to come and establish almost as a, a safe space for them. <clears throat> uh, and they would refer to some various promises. I'm going to read one of which now for you. If my bookmark has not disappeared inside my Bible. Here we are. So you're welcome to turn to it if you want to. We are going to land um, in a, a passage from the Sermon on the Mount in a few moments. Uh, but first on the way to that. So it's Isaiah chapter 52, verses 7 to 8. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, that was the people of Israel, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice, together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. So passages like that and promises like that are the example of the the prophetic promises that God was giving to his people of what he was going to come and do. And then Jesus turns up. And you can hear the kind of history pausing, taking a sharp intake of breath and going, there's something happening here, isn't there? What's What's the plan? What's going on? Andrew Wilson, one of the leaders of a church in um, our sort of group of churches, the Catalyst Group, part of the New Frontiers Network, he has written a book called God Stories. It unpacks the gospel, looks at different themes from the gospel, and unpacks them in a chapter. And I wanted to read just a short excerpt uh, from his chapter on the kingdom of God. It's actually called The Kingdom of God is at Hand. So he, he, he actually quotes the verse I've just read you from Isaiah there, an example of the promises of God. And he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Then that was a way of proclaiming that this was happening. So Jesus' message was, the kingdom of God is at hand. So that was a way of proclaiming that promises like that were happening. After hundreds of years of waiting, Yahweh was coming back to his people. His enemies were going to be crushed. And his reign, which you could equally call his kingdom, was close by. So far, so good. That was what the Jews meant. You know, they understood that the Messiah was going to come in and rescue them and establish uh, a safe nationhood for them. And that was what Jesus meant. The thing is, it quickly became clear that Jesus' idea of what those things looked like, the return of Yahweh, the crushing of God's enemies, the breaking in of his reign, were not what any Jews were expecting. God's reign would not be accepted by everyone. In fact, lots of people, including the religious leaders, would reject it. The enemy that would be crushed included sickness, Satan, demonic powers, and sin, but not Roman soldiers. The Romans were the oppressors. Worst of all, the return of Yahweh would mean judgment for Israel and her temple, not exaltation. The prophet from Nazareth 
was turning the popular notion of the kingdom of God on its head through the things he did and the stories he told. So here's this expectation that Israel had. Safe space, ruled over by God, protected from their enemies. Maybe they had some notion of how God would bless the world through that. And here's Jesus stepping in saying, nope, it's not about a country. It is about me ruling and reigning, though. And you can imagine the, the resounding sort of spiritual pounding from his footsteps as he walked up the hill to gather his people together and preach the Sermon on the Mount. And that's kind of where this series comes in. We sit down at the feet of Jesus and we're there poised with bated breath, listening to what he wants to say to us. So Jesus begins to define the kingdom, as we've heard in our series. Here's how you flourish. Darren spoke to us about that. Here's how you have that rich, full life. Here's how you find wholeness, a sense of completeness in your heart. Emma spoke to us about that. Here's how you should have a concept of, of righteousness, of, of moral purity. Jonathan spoke to us about that. Here's how you're going to be rewarded. I know life is tough. I know it's hard. But here's what's waiting for you. Here's what I've got stored up for you. Andy spoke to us about that. And here's how you can know God the Father. For the Jews, he would have been very separate and far off. But Jesus began to say, here's how you can get close. Here's how you can know him personally. That was Anil and Ryan who spoke to us about that. So what is the kingdom? The kingdom is human flourishing under the lordship of Jesus in our hearts. It's human flourishing under the lordship of Jesus in our hearts. So let's unpack then, how does the kingdom bring us peace and purpose? If that's what we fell away from, if that's our daily reality of striving to find that peace and that purpose, how does the kingdom get us there? Let's take them one at a time. So we'll take peace first of all. Let's land in our passage today. So we're coming out of uh, Matthew chapter 6. And it'll be one that we're probably familiar with. Uh, verse 25 onwards. So let's find that. <clears throat> All right. So therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, not about your body or you'll put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Let's pause there. So here he is addressing some of these common anxieties and fears, which I've touched on. 
do not be anxious about what you eat. That's clearly, you know, how am I going to be able to, um, I don't know, work to earn money to be able to feed myself, feed my family. It's that genuine kind of worry that's probably <coughs> deep down for some of us and maybe a little bit more pronounced for others. So he speaks to that. And actually, even today, he's been showing me new things in this, which I hadn't really understood. When he talks about the, the lilies, I always understood that as, again, speaking to that like material, I'm, I'm concerned genuinely about having enough money just to put clothes on my back kind of thing. And I think he's addressing that, but he's addressing something deeper. So we've got the worry that I won't have enough, that's sort of provision. But he's also addressing a sense that I think we also might all to some degree share in is that insecurity of how will I appear to other people? How will I present myself to other people? And for us, it could look different in different ways. You know, um, some of us might be insecure about um, sort of parts of ourselves and, and how we think and, and who we are. Some of us might be insecure about body parts. You know, the entire adver advertising industry, a large portion of that is about your body sucks. You need our product to be able to feel better about yourself. And I think it's that sense of all of us put something out to the world. You know, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, we have a, a face that we present to the world. And we want to be respected. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted. We want to not appear foolish. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. I think what he's addressing is the very deep need in us to be able to kind of just hold ourselves with a bit of confidence. And a bit of, do you know what? I'm okay. I'm all right. I don't know if I, that comes across clearly, but hopefully you understand what I mean. As I say, it's fresh to me today. But that's what he's talking to. So not just the provision of needs, but also a provision of sort of self-security, as it were. And he rounds things off by saying, your father knows you need these things. Here's what you're insecure about. Here's your anxiousness. But don't worry because your heavenly father knows you need them. Let me say to you today that if you are living with anxiousness, and that's probably most of us, in some way, shape or form, your father knows. Your father knows. That doesn't just mean that he sits off far off sort of saying, yep, I know it's tough, but it's for your own good. No, your father knows because he loves you, because he cares, because his attention is on you. You matter to him. It's not about him teaching you a lesson through the difficulties you go through, although he can help you to learn things through difficulties because he is a redeemer. He can restore things back to you that you've lost. He's able to take you like a phoenix out of the ashes. He can take your ashes and turn them into beauty because he loves you. And he's with you. Fear is, is almost like a, if you've ever lived with it, it's like a knot in your stomach that's constantly there or a nagging maybe at the back of your head that's kind of constantly with you. And I know something about living with uh, fear as a sickness. Long story short, but there was a period of time in my life where I dealt with anxiety I would encounter sort of fear, usually around sort of traveling, um, lack of sleep maybe when you're going on a, an early morning flight or something like that, or you're getting on a train, going a long journey, whatever. And the anxiety was around 
being sick and feeling sick. You know, you'd start to get that sort of churning in your stomach and you'd feel anxious and sick. And then you'd start thinking, oh dear, I'm going to be sick. Then you start getting more anxious and then more sick and more, you know, it's this vicious circle. And I remember it kind of came to a head on a, a train journey. It was a church trip that we were going on. And I remember sitting on the train and um, the sort of anxiety had started maybe a, an hour or two before this, this point. And I was feeling a bit sick. And I live with this sort of awareness in this journey of whenever I went somewhere, I was thinking, where are the loos? How many steps to the loo? <laughs> you know, just in case I need it. And there was always that fear of, what if it's too far away? What if there isn't one nearby? You know, how? And so <clears throat> fear is, is like a, a sickness and not inside of us. I don't know how many of you have seen the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, the, the films or, or read the books. I used to love these as a kid. I had the BBC dramatised version. And you've got these great actors giving great performances over a cassette tape. I was going to say, who remembers a cassette tape? But actually, all the young'uns have left, so <laughs> we know what we're talking about here. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there were four children in it. Uh, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. Lucy was the youngest little girl. And throughout the course of their adventure, they're in Narnia, this magical land, ruled over by the uh, wicked, uh, I was going to say the wicked witch. She is a wicked witch, uh, but she was just called the um, White Witch. And in their journey to defeat her, they meet Father Christmas, who gives them gifts. Each of them get a, a different gift or a tool to help them in their fight. Lucy gets this little bottle of healing cordial. And she was, she was very sweet and little, and this is like the perfect gift for her, just to come in and, and bring healing to any wound or any disease. And at the end of the film, spoiler alert, end of the book story, Edmund, her older brother, sustains a wound. And I think... Maybe there was a poison in it or something like that. Sustains a wound, he's, he's dying. And she comes along and she gives him some of this healing cordial. And the cordial comes in, it deals with the poison, it helps with the sickness, gets rid of it and, and heals him. The cross is the healing cordial that comes in and deals with the fear in us, the sickness in us. Obviously, you've got the sickness of sin, which God deals with through the, the work of the cross, Christ paying the penalty for our sins. And with that comes the restoration of relationship, which brings us back into that closeness with God, which we had in Eden, which is the peace. So the cross is the healing cordial that brings us back to peace. Which means that the kingdom is restored relationship uh, with the Father, who returns us to the peace that we had, because he knows what we need. <laughs> he meets our needs for physical provision, and he also meets that deeper need in us to be able to look in the mirror without wincing. So that's how the kingdom brings us peace. Let's think now about how the kingdom brings us purpose. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, where we are, the next verse. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, <clears throat> Jonathan did such a great job of unpacking righteousness to us. He said that it was about justice and also about moral purity. 
And those are absolutely right, but I think there's another way of wording it that could help us to understand this, that brings those two together. And it's what I said at the start. It's righteousness is that which aligns to God's ideal way of things being. It was present in the Garden of Eden, in the world when God created us. Everything lined up with his ideal way. So does it include justice? Absolutely, because justice is about the imbalance created when you're wronged, when something goes wrong, when somebody steals from you or something like that. It's about restoring that balance. So you've stepped away from God's ideal way of being, that people would have what they need and not take from each other. And it restores you back to that. Does it also include moral purity? Well, absolutely it does, because we're designed to be like God. That's good. And in the fall, we stepped away from that. That's bad. That's evil. So what repairs that balance is restoring us back to God's ideal way, which is good. So it includes both those things. So the process is we, we, we come to Jesus, we come to the cross, we ask him to come and live within us to forgive us of our sins. We get born again. The spirit of God comes to live within us. The kingdom of God comes to live within us. And what happens is he begins to shape our hearts to come in line with God's ideal way for things to be. That's pursuing righteousness, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we do that in our, in our hearts. But it's kind of like Adam and Eve's first job to get into the garden, to understand it, to understand how the different creatures worked and to uh, figure out how the plants worked and all of this order, how it came together and how it spoke of the beauty of God to get in amongst it. That's like us going internally, taking Jesus' hand as he walks us through the garden of our heart and understanding his kingdom, his ways, as we have been looking at in the Sermon on the Mount. But then there's the second part of the purpose. Because Adam and Eve, once they'd got that understanding, that foundation, were then to take it and to fill the earth with it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. says this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is speaking to us of taking our light and putting it on display. That's that process of taking what we've learned from Jesus, what we've understood from him in our own heart journey and putting that into practice out there in the world, filling the earth with the order and the beauty of the garden. Now God takes us and he clothes us with his glory. That's what Jesus was alluding to when he said, uh, the lilies of the field you will be dressed more radiantly than they. It's the beauty that God gives when he creates you anew that he puts on you. It's that wonderful sense of, do you know what? I'm okay. God sees me. God knows me. God loves me. And I'm enough. And he cl God clothes us with his glory like he clothed creation with his glory. And we're to allow that to shine out into the world as we go into everyday life go to work, go to hang out with friends, whatever we find ourselves doing, just to let that light shine like a, uh, a candle shining in a room. 
gives illumination. Now, the thing is that a lot of people understand that. A lot of Christians understand that, and they think that that means that I've got to go out and tell everybody how much they suck. You're such a sinner. You know, you need to repent. God hates people who do this and do this. You are one of those people, so therefore he hates you. This whole message of hitting people over the head with the cross. Jonathan had a great analogy, which was um, he talked about ball guy and bike guy. If you remember his preach, you might remember this one. Ball guy was a memory Jonathan had of um, playing a game as a kid, and it seemed to really matter to this one, one bloke, this one parent who was there, because he began to shout at Jonathan and tell him all the things he was doing wrong and how he needed to improve his game in order to be successful. So that's ball guy hitting people over the head. And then bike guy was when he was helping his daughter to learn how to ride a bike. And it became just about sort of releasing her into it and sort of saying, hey, you've got this, you can do this. You know, here's the, here's the goal, here's the ideal. You can do it. It was encouragement, it was uplifting, it was launching them off into it. I remember um, I used to work at the, the Odeon Cinema a few years ago and a lot of my stories come from there. Um, and I'd have the opportunity to have uh, good conversations with people sometimes when there wasn't a guest you know, coming to, to be served, because I'm a professional, you know. And I had a friend there, and we, we, I don't know how long we, we'd knew, known each other for, a couple of years, and I think we'd had the odd conversation here and there, and she seemed sort of open to things, but again, not many opportunities. And one day I did get an opportunity, and I just opened up a little bit about my story, my, my sort of testimony, as it were. And so, so there was that moment, and, and it was good. Not a lot really seemed to come of it, but it was good. And we, we left and we went to different jobs. Bumped into her in the cinema a little while later. In the cinema, in the supermarket. And we briefly caught up. She said that she felt life was kind of getting on top of her a bit. She had a lot going on and it was difficult. Um, and something in the back of my head said, you could try inviting her to Alpha. So I had an Alpha course on. So I said, well, it's a chance to step out from you know, everyday life and all of the stuff that goes on. We don't really get the chance to think about some of the bigger things in life, the bigger questions, meaning, faith, purpose. You get a free meal, the chance to have a good conversation with some people who are in the same boat. Would you like to come? And she said, yes. You know, I took a punt on it. She ended up giving her life to the Lord at the end of the Alpha course. If I'd have had the mentality throughout my journey at the cinema and my friendship with her of bull guy, I'd have been hitting over the head with how bad she was, and who knows what the result would have been. But because I took the mentality of, I don't have all the answers, I can't solve your life for you, I know one who can, let me show you him as best I can in my own life, and let me talk to you about the benefit of being in his kingdom. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2 from the message translation as a great way of putting this. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you, that's kind of getting that garden cultivation going on in our own hearts, Understanding God's ways. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you. He develops well-formed maturity in you. 
And it's that, that process, isn't it? Garden cultivation in my own heart, righteous, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in here so that I'm, I'm then in a position to take that out into the world and to transform the world around me. Now, your world could be your workplace. It could be just your family life. It could be hanging out with your friends. Who knows what it looks like? But that's your world. That's your space. There's a great book by the King's Arms Church in Bedford. They are our covering church, part of, uh, again, the Catalyst Network. They've written a book on this subject about being disciples and making disciples. And they say this, we are called to demonstrate and declare the kingdom of God wherever we go, thereby introducing people to the reality that Jesus is alive and that God is good. The kingdom can be simply defined as the active rule and reign of God over all that he had made. And it was the central message of Jesus and his disciples. Mike Pilavachi, he's the, uh, the pastor of Soul Survivor Church in Watford, says, the greatest evangelistic tool we have, disciples, learners, people who are students of the kingdom, you might say. Men and women who look, sound, and smell like Jesus. The King's Arms guys continue. Bringing the kingdom is like living life like Jesus modeled. The kingdom of God reflects all that is true of its king, which is why Jesus taught us to pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So how does the kingdom of God bring us purpose and peace? Well, it restores us to relationship with the Father who knows our needs. It takes away our fears, allows us to live life on a higher plane, as it were, where we are able to then understand our purpose, which is to get into the kingdom, to understand it, to revel in the, the wonderful way that God has for us to live as people in relationship with him, sanctified and made clean by the blood of Jesus, that we then get to share that and to transform the world around us. So the final question as I land today is, how does this shape our view of Christian living? Well, it means that the church isn't the way Israel thought of the coming kingdom of God, an insular, inward-focused, protected, safe space for God's people to shelter from the storm. It means that we are a kingdom. We are a people. We are people with purpose. You know, in the, the Beatitudes at the start of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes us as people who will own the kingdom. Not just part of the kingdom, but we have ownership over it. We're comforted in relationship with the Father. We inherit the earth and all God's promises. We shall be satisfied. It's that wholeness, that peace that comes in. We'll receive mercy for our sins. We shall see God. We'll be called his children and his heirs. So it's that provision of how will I get my needs met, but it's also that sense of how will I have worth and dignity that comes through the cross, through the blood, and through relationship with God the Father. And then we're able to live out the purpose of the kingdom, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness in us and to fill the world with it, to let our light shine. So we have the opportunity then to join him in the journey of making disciples, drawing alongside people in humility, drawing them in, pointing them on to Jesus and inviting them to become part of our community. That's what this is. That's what the purpose of this is. On Sundays, we teach and we, we understand more of the scriptures and more of the way of the kingdom so we can live it out internally and we can fill the earth with it.
It's this wonderful commission. They were not lying when they said it was the great commission. It's part of the purposes of God that began on day one of creation. Creating Eden, creating Adam and Eve, there was a plan in place that God has brought people back to through Jesus and through the cross. We get that wonderful, wonderful privilege of living that out in our everyday lives. So let's pray. Let's just turn our hearts to the Lord right now and just receive that wonderful thing. Jesus, King above kings. Wow, all the universe will sing everlasting God. You are wonderful. Lord, as we get more glimpses of your nature, your beauty, your kingdom, what you're like, the more we love you, the more of you we want. Thank you, you have a plan and purpose for King's Community Church, that you're at work in all of our hearts, helping us to put our trust in you and to find the spaces where we're insecure and we're scared, to shore them up with the cordial of the cross. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us then to begin to see the unique ways that we have a part to play in in making disciples. Thank you that we as a church can grow. We can see lives change. We can see people in real discomfort and, and hardship now touched by the good news of the kingdom, by the power and the love of the king who restores us to relationship with the Father. Lord, we just commit ourselves into your hands afresh in that process. We ask you to bless us, fill us, and to lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.